The name of your show is so ridiculous. Hey, this is Steve McDougall, and you're listening to What's Going On, Dre. <laughs> Here <laughs> on CJFM, What's Going On, Dre. What's up, What's man? Up, what are you at? What are you doing? What you up to? What's shaking? How you Welcome to What's Going On, Dre, with your host, Andre Pettipaw. And on this week's episode, I've got Steve McDougal of Slow Coaster. We get to catch up on all things Slow Co. The first full-length album since 2014 has been announced. We're stoked on that. We get to hear about some of the most strangest fights in Cape Breton. How you doing, Steve? Oh, pretty good, buddy. How you doing? Good, good, man. Just uh, prepping for summer and... Uh, all that kind of fun stuff, getting everything rolled out and ready for a new album, which I understand you're doing much of the same. Yep. So you just released uh, a pre-sale last Friday or yes. last Thursday, 420. Yeah, man. <laughs> Surprise. So, so that was that was planned for a bit. Yeah. How's the pre-sales going? Everything's going well with that? Man, we're within six days. We're halfway to our goal, which is just very... Uh, know this feeling too it's like a sense of massive relief that (laughs) i mean you're in 2023 you're you're asking people for money yeah it's like people are bitching about how much fucking cabbage costs right now and you're like hey anybody got 50 bucks for a record that's coming out in 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 two months from now yeah yeah so so you're uh, halfway there uh, anyway we're halfway there to our goal of what we set as like our kind of manufacturing goal and stuff and there's all that business bullshit that no one really cares about. Like it's, it's a uh, very relieving and we worked working so fucking hard on this for three years. I was saying to Brule the other day, the drummer, yeah. I was like, you, uh, cause I've played the record for a few people that have ne- that had, that had not heard it at all. Cool. Recently, and they were super kind of floored by it. And I was like, you know, I just, I stopped hearing it like a year ago. Like I stopped <laughs> like, hear it as sound waves that enter my ear but i no longer even hear it as music anymore yeah but then we got uh, we got our final mixes and we got our masters and all that kind of stuff and uh maybe not so much our masters but i'm hearing it in a completely different light now and i'm starting to hear how p pe- how people are going to hear it and and everything and uh it's it's very it's very typical us like and that makes me happy that was the that was the mission statement for this record was we're not chasing any dragons on this record. We're not chasing the radio dragon. We're not chasing any dragons except what we like. And uh, and there we there you go. Yeah, it came out naturally, and you shared three songs with me, and like yeah. we chatted. We had a little precursor chat last week about this, and you said it's like it's very slow coaster. It's whatever comes out. You you blend the reggae. You blend a little bit of country. You have radio pop rock. You have all these elements that just makes the band something unique. And uh, I was sent three songs, and each song had something different, which, uh, no doubt, obviously, I was like, yeah, this is cool as hell. So when were these tracks recorded? We started this process in 2019. Wow. And, um, you know, had all these plans. You know, you you map out your kind of year plan or your two-year plan of how this, you're going to write, you're going to pre-production, you're going to produce the songs on the record and then you're gonna you're gonna promo you're gonna tour you're gonna do all these things and then it's like 
you know, end of March, (laughs) end of March, 2020. It's like, yeah, back to the drawing board. To be honest with you, it, I feel like the art world and no matter how much it stung at the time, and I still stick to this now and people might Mm -hmm. disagree with me, but I feel like the art world, the music world, the music industry, it all needed to take a big breath. You're right. Cause it, it had been this like, snowball this this like snowball effect of uh, it was like stagnant and ever moving at the same time so you know one year it'd be like oh everybody's selling their albums on usb thumb drives now and the next year it'd be like no everybody's using drop cards now and it's like no everybody's just using and then in the streaming and the the, everything it was like you you couldn't keep up but nothing was changing at the same time and it just you know there was this like homogenization along with like this market flooding um, along with no one could keep up honestly when the world took that giant breath uh i remember we were writing we we just kept on writing and we were like we're going to use our we're going to use our frustration we're going to use our anger we're going to use our you know at the same time you turn the tv on which i guess that's a weird saying that no one really does that too much anymore but and the the fucking world, the you know, society was burning at the same time, like literally on fire in like June of twenty twenty one, and and there was a lot going on, and uh, and we just kept writing, we just kept writing and writing and writing and writing, and it was the first time that we've been able to take a breath too, because we're, we've been on the road for twenty years. Yeah, you guys was it ninety nine? You guys started. We kind of we put the band together at the end of ninety nine, and. You know, the world was coming out of grunge at that moment. It was entering into this new era. But at the same time, we were we were pretty entrenched in like the jam world. Yeah. So in, in our in our minds, being in the jam world, nothing outside that bubble matters. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, to us anyway, and the jam world is it's kind of like the the beast that is and forever will be kind of thing. But it's, it's authentic. It's not going to change. Yeah. It's yeah. it's something else, and it's yeah. huge, and it's it's like. It's to me, so the jam cool. world is like it's like the ultimate underground, right? Uh, like cult classic. You know, things will th- <laughs> things will say they're underground, like some certain yeah. indie factions or whatever. But to us, like the jam world is the true. Un- to us, that that's the ultimate underground. It's like this: you can go to a concert with a hundred fucking thousand people at it, mm-hmm. and drive five miles down the road from that concert, and no one has ever heard of it. Amazing. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. No. So exactly. It's it's literally it's that cult thing and like like you're saying I think I seen you guys maybe one of my first shows seeing it was at Evolve, that was maybe like maybe 2007 were you guys at that one? Yeah, we definitely were. We only yeah. missed one. Okay, yeah, missed one. I would have yeah. been in like grade ten maybe. I think 2007 <laughs> grade ten. That would have been one of the first times I've seen you guys. And I'm like, okay, this is amazing, and the funny thing. There was uh, some bands that I grew up with that were covering Slow Coaster songs, covering uh, JSB songs, like all around that same era. And uh, I actually just came across my first band covering um, covering a Slow Coaster tune. I found it the other day, so I'm going to use it as a promo for this episode. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> it's I love uh, it. Rasta Flag. So I found a oh. video of 15 year old me singing Rasta Flag. <laughs> Oh my Dig, God! Hilarious. Digging up the archives, so it just shows you how, like you're saying, that kind of jam scene is influential to that group. And then down the road, you don't even know anything's going on, but it's so people that love it love it, and it's so enthralled in that group of people. It's the jam scene is cool. It's very much like the folk world in in ways that that there's no bell curve to your 
to your career. Yeah. Like you you can be 65 years old with a big gray beard and still be like number one. Yes. You know, or, and there's actually not a lot of competition. There's a lot of camaraderie mm-hmm. and, uh, the pop world, which we kind of were, we kind of somehow up on that dragon there for a few years. And it was like, what the fuck? You know, you can be number one in the country, literally number one. And then three years later, you're back working at Starbucks again. And I was like, I want nothing to do with that world. <laughs> Get me out of this stress-filled place. That's it, yeah. man. And I think a lot of people realize that and they see it. Like, people want to have that radio success or they want to have that festival success in the higher level. And then when they get to it, it's a matter of, like, people just get into the dumps once you're not a part of that money train anymore. You're not a part of that success. You know, it just goes to show you why there's such uh not to get dark for a second but like the music the music business can have like a high percentage of say suicide exactly things like that because it's like it's the it's the ultimate carrot on the stick and you get that carrot for about 30 fucking seconds and then the carrot's gone and then it's like dangling if i don't if i don't get that carrot back i'm gonna fucking die right and uh there's, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of mental problems. There's a lot of you 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 literally dedicate your goddamn life. You sacrifice, you sacrifice your soul to the devil. Uh, so you see those bands, you see those bands that rise to the very top. And what a lot of people don't know is like, yes, they might be number one on the chart and they might be selling a ton of records, but they're probably a million fucking dollars in debt. And then all of a sudden, you're back at Starbucks, but you still owe a million dollars. So. I, <laughs> From from the very beginning, I mean, we started the band in Vancouver, which was my first kind of foray into the jam scene. I'd never experienced anything like it. Yep. On the East Coast, and then when I when I came home to the East Coast, it was just kind of starting to blossom here. Like it was just, you could just start to see the Baja sweaters. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the drug rugs. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. it. <laughs> You know, the West Coast has BC, it has Vancouver, it has the Kootenays. That, was, that scene had been going on since the San Francisco days. So that's where Slowco originated? Yeah, so I left. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, I, got, I got to BC and I was like, instead of just going to the Capri Club and hearing, you know, people cover fucking Trooper songs, <laughs> all of a sudden I was at the biggest raves in the world and I was at fish shows and I was at all these things and I was like, okay, there is an entirely other world of music out there besides the what we're yeah. made to believe, you know, whereas the East coast was still kind of coming out of the hangover of the grunge era. Mm-hmm. Um, BC was very much like the San Francisco of Canada. And then we came back and kind of combined both of them. And, you know, here we still are. I mean, Mike and I, uh, we were always like, there is no plan to stop. I love that. You know, there's, there's no like, there's no real end game to this there's no there's no curve at all it's the journey it's a bit of a it, i mean it's always a roller coaster but nothing is ever nothing is ever perfect whether you're sitting in a fucking office cubicle or or on stage like you're you're gonna have good days you're gonna have bad days <laughs> and you and mikey started this did you meet mikey out there so i had met mike before i went out there myself and a, a drummer named Devin strang had started mm-hmm. a band and we were playing a lot of reggae yeah. We're, I don't, I don't, and when I, it's funny when I look back on it, I don't even know why. Like, I mean, I love <laughs> reggae music. We're all big potheads, but I, I don't even really understand why. But we started this band called Vague Appealer. Cool. And then 
I moved to Vancouver. Devin moved out to Vancouver with me, and we started a few little kind of jam things out there. But I read this article, um, and I think they were they were interviewing Jimi Hendrix. And I read mm-hmm. this because we we what we were planning on moving home. I read, and uh, this article with Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix had said, "If you ever want to find an amazing bass player, just call up the best guitar player you know." <laughs> and uh, so Mike was in a band called Bemis Ton, and they were. They were kind of like that end of the grunge era, kind of hard rock, uh, grunge, kind of like, you know, a mix between Chili Peppers and Blind Melon kind of sound. Yeah. And uh, I and I knew that they weren't playing anymore, and I called Mike up. I'm like, hey, what do you think about playing bass? And and Mike is like, he's he's such a fucking prodigy, right? Like he's a virtuoso. <laughs> and, and he was like, he was like, I'm into anything as long as I can <laughs> yeah. hit the road. Yeah. You know, get back on that road. So it started from there. I, I, yeah, I didn't even know that he played guitar first. And this is, like, I realized he played guitar well, and I didn't realize, like, what the transition there was between him and going from guitar to bass, or what he started bass first. But it's funny that you uh, that you got it from that. It's, kind of, kind of, it's kind of ridiculous how good of a guitar <laughs> player he is. It's, it's kind of, it kind of it makes you sad and mad. Yeah. That, that he, no matter how fucking hard you work, Michael you can't touch better. Mikey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you guys play in Holler as well together. So yes, with that group, he plays guitar. Yeah. Or you guys all switch up instruments? Because I see you were playing some kind of bang guitar. I play, or is it a banjo? Well, I just, I've, yeah, it's just like one of those six-string banjos. Yeah. And, and uh, that is such a cool... It's funny when I when we flip-flop back, back and forth between touring with Holler and touring with Slow Coast. With Holler, we, we sit down. We tell mm-hmm. stories. We play like this kind of intricate Celtic music and like these spooky old sixteenth uh, century hymns Tales and things like that. And then when I go back to playing with Slow Coaster, that's when I start to feel like I'm in my forties because it's like, oh fuck, man, my knees are killing me. I've been fucking <laughs> <laughs> like sitting down now. Used to sitting for like right. twenty shows, and then you then you stand for twenty shows, and you're like we're doing the whole rock out routine. And it's like, oh my god. Do you get the sore back and the sore shoulder? <laughs> I, I well, since I stopped playing my double neck. I was guitar, gonna say I, I've got a photo I, of you wearing the double neck from like yeah a while back. Yeah, uh, that used to hurt because amazing. Uh, it was supposed to be like this, like feature guitar, but I, I blow like I just so hard on my instruments that I would always end up that being the only functional guitar I would have. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> we, we played a show last summer, and you had someone's amp or someone's guitar because yours were out of service, and you're like, "Yeah, no, I just whatever works." I have I, I own 27 guitars. I think I own 29. <laughs> I think I own I have 29 guitars right now, and at one point, uh, 21 of them were in the shop. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, Have, that's fine. That's is it like it a goes. close friend that fixes your gear, or is it? Yeah, has it been he's the same a, guy. It's the same guy. Yeah, it's uh, Dwayne Kelly, also known as Swayze. He's uh, the guitar tech for Matt Anderson, and he's right. actually on the road with Matt Anderson right now. Cool. So you're gonna meet up with him at ECMA. Are you going there? I'm not going to ECMAs. No, not, not this year. ECMA. We haven't gone. To, we haven't gone. To, we did. Uh, so two years ago, Holler did a bunch yeah. of like virtual virtual stuff. Right. But I started, and it's nothing against ECMAs at all. I mean we don't really party too much and and we want to make business happen and this and that but like unless you kind of have a to to me anyway and to Mm. us i guess unless you have a product that you're actively pushing yeah in hindsight now that the pre-sales are going so well and 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 the kind of 
pre-releases and stuff are, are getting so much attention that in hindsight, we probably could have went and promoted a little bit here and there, but you know, we all got kids and we all got these things. So it's kind of like to, to take off and do a few days of ECMAs to not have a record in your hand. You can be passing out to people. Like you're saying, it's what you want to get out of it. And if you, like you said, if you have the product there or if you're looking to uh, book for the rest of your year, it's all, it's all what you want out of it. You get what you give. And for you, you, like you said, your pre-sales are going well. Um, You have that following. You're, your fan base is going to be there no matter what and no matter if you meet new people or if you see the same delegates you've seen over the years, the same people you yeah. know in the industry. It's like you've kind of got your catalog, you've got your contact book, you can make the shows happen what need to happen. And so we're having this, yeah, and we're having this super, I noticed this phenomenon, the first time I really noticed it was uh, in Halifax mm-hmm. during our show uh, this past December and it just kind of continued on. There's a very bizarre phenomenon going on with our band right now. So we were to go back to say 2004, 2005. Yeah. We would get videos sent to us or messages or, you know, uh, heartfelt messages or this or that. We would get videos of say like a, a person's three-year-old dancing to patio in the kitchen. <laughs> Amazing. Right? So you got 10,000 fans. Um, you know, say, say we have 10,000 solid fans. Uh, so we've got all these videos of like these kids, you know, lip syncing to the patio or lip syncing to Euro trash or songs like that and yep. dancing and all this kind of shit. And these kids were like fucking two and three years old. Right. <laughs> so and you, you, you fast forward to 2022. Yeah. Uh, late 2022. These kids are all now 19 and, tw- and 20 now. <laughs> yes. And I looked out, I looked out at the crowd in Halifax and it, it Everybody was 20. Yeah. Except like the fogies, a few fogies in the back. Like fogies as in my age. Yeah. <laughs> and uh like what the fuck is going on here? And and, and then uh, we had a few fans come up afterwards and they were like, I literally grew up on your music. Your music was in my house constantly, you know. We would dance to patio and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, you guys are all the kids of, <laughs> In the, those of the fans. <laughs> of the fans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, second generation slow coasters. So, it, it kind of like brings into play that, that old adage of if you just stick with it. Yeah. You never, you know, if you just stick with it. Like, if we would have given up on this 10 years ago, we wouldn't have had that kind of change, gener- literal generational changeover in our fan base yeah and that's so now we go now we go play shows it's like maybe 20 to 30 percent original fans and 70 percent second generation 20 year olds (laughs) and it's just hilarious because i'm like like, and it gives me energy too it gives us energy because we're looking out and it might as well be 2003 again because everybody is the same age as the fans were in 2003 and to, to see people that age coming out and enjoying live music, live jam music, you know, dancing, all that kind of stuff. I just, I could, I could go on ad nauseum about how happy that made me and how it continually makes me happy because the shows have kind of that, you know, whoever was 18, two years ago is now 20. And it's like, it's all, you know, we played a few festivals last summer, like Clogaroo and stuff. And it was just like a sea of 20 year olds with singing the fucking words. And I'm like, that's so cool, man. Mind melting. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just, like you were saying, it shows the longevity and the 
sticking with it. Like you said, you get a whole new generation of fans. You guys have a name for your fan base? Uh, no. <laughs> no we've, never, we've never really... Uh, never thought of it that way. We don't really have a... We have a pretty weird band name, so it never really was yeah, conducive. Yeah, where, where did that come from? So that was from Vancouver. Yeah, yep. we, we, we worked at uh, an organic food delivery service. <laughs> Called the Slow and Coaster? We, no, we, we worked <laughs> with the pilot, pilot people from the West Coast. Yeah. And uh, they would tease us. And they would be like... They'd be like, I uh, you know, the, and they were from Ontario and stuff too. And yeah, they'd be like, they'd be like, oh, we're all from the smart coast. You guys are all from the slow coast. You're a bunch of slow oh coasters. Oh my God. And I remember pointing my finger and I'm still friends with this dude to this day. <laughs> I remember pointing my finger at this dude and I was like, you did really it. I'm going to take that word <laughs> and I'm going to shove it down your fucking throat <laughs> one of these days. No. And, sh- and sure enough, he came to one of our shows at Lee's Palace and there in front of Lee's Palace, or it was like, Lee's Palace or the Elma Combo, one of those. And yeah. it was just like in these giant letters, slow coaster. <laughs> the and the place kid. was just like, the place was just like fucking sold out. And I was, <laughs> and he was there. And I wagged my finger. This is probably a uh, after. Yeah. And I wagged my finger at him and I was like, I fucking told, told you. you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so speaking of that, what has been your favorite show to date that you guys have ever done? I know you did the, uh, Japanese touring you did in 2010, I believe. Um, have you done any other international touring? So between 2010 and now, like, so this was this has been a, like a formative time for us, like having kids and everything. So yep. we we didn't do a lot of it. We're we're planning on a lot more stuff this year. Yeah, I would have to say, and you know, unfortunately, Mikey's not here to uh, disagree or agree with me. But like, so personally, there's been a couple of Evolve festivals. Yeah, that e- that equilibrium between band and crowd. Yeah, kind of seem kind of seemed like it was perfect. Yeah, um, and if you go on YouTube, it's all there. Um, there was st- there was moments that definitely stick out in my head. There was a moment at a festival. It was called like a Marina Festival or something in St. John, where this guy took one of those whale blow ups that you put in a pool, like one <laughs> yeah. that you ride on. Yeah, and he cut it. He cut it open. It's it's also on YouTube. He cut it open and he wore it. And he got up on stage and f- flopped around like a whale. So that, that was one of my. I think my favorite show, hands down, was playing with Sublime. Oh yeah, we had that, we had had those kind of mild comparisons like for years. Of course, because we yeah. play like you know uh, rock reggae. Yeah, you know? and um, it's not like we really copied or anything. Like, it's just it's just style. It's California. It's yeah, it's just like California surf music, right? Coastal and, uh, music, yeah. And I could tell by the fans. The fans at that show were going That's absolutely fucking ballistic because <laughs> to them it was like this culmination of everything they've ever wanted over the years. It's like not only is Slow Coaster playing, but they're literally playing with like fucking Sublime. Yeah. Sublime with Sublime with Rome, who sound like fantastic, by the way. Yeah. That was a New Year's Eve show. That was New Year's Eve in Moncton, like yeah. three years ago. Uh, it was just like like I said, it was this That's bizarre the stars had all aligned. Yeah. The thing that the thing that you never thought would be possible finally right. became possible. Right. And just, you know, hanging backstage with Sublime and just like So they're chill as hell. Good dudes. Super 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 good dudes, yeah. Do, are they like more puffers than drinkers? Like I know you guys are Uh yeah, you don't drink they, often. 
No, and they're, and they're definitely chill like that. Like, I didn't get to hang with Big Mike too much because so uh, I know that. So right after a show, Big Mike likes to have an entire pizza and a joint. <laughs> that's, that's so the, the plan. The, the plan for this record. So they had just opened up a studio. Their drummer, uh, he actually just left the band for I forget. It wasn't for any crazy reasons. I think he was just continuing with studio stuff. Yeah. Um, they had just kind of all opened up a studio in California. Okay. And I had worked in California a few times as well. And so I called him up in California and I was like, okay, you know me. We just played together. We're not fucking best friends or anything like that. Uh, you have a new studio. We want to capture more of the experience of going at like going at, we've never gone exactly. away to record yeah. a record. And he was like, yeah, you guys come down to LA. Mm-hmm. Um, stay in an Airbnb next to the studio. And we're going to fucking record. I sent him a bunch of pre-production stuff yeah. that we were working on at the time. And, uh, he was like, you guys come down and you're going to record your new record at the brand new uh, studio that we're all kind of putting together here in LA. And you'll be like one of the first bands to record here. Cool. And, and we were just like super, super hyped about that. And then lo and behold, you know, seven and months later when we were seven months later, the <laughs> shit, shit hit the fan. Oh, but, but, but we, you know, we just kept it real and we, uh, you didn't stop creating. Well, no, Jamie Folds, as you know, from Sound yeah. Park Studios, one of the, you know, hands down, one of the best producers on the East Coast of Canada. Um, and one of the easiest dudes to work with. And he's not afraid to, like, give input. And he's not afraid to, like, take initiative on his own with helping you out creatively and things like that. He just kind of took the reins. And Sick. so w- during the pandemic, for pre-production purposes and some full production purposes, I would... Uh, Brule would record a drum track at his house mm-hmm. on his DAW. Uh, Mike would record a bass track at his house with his DAW. They would both send it to me. I would import them to Pro Tools, and I would do all my stuff, and then I would send it to Jamie, and he would polish it. Cool. So I like, was going to ask about that. Like he, so he had his hand in the production stuff as well. So at least half of the record yeah. was recorded on four different... Cool. In, ...in two different provinces without us ever seeing each other. We would write the song over Zoom. Mm-hmm. And then we would all individually produce our parts around a skeleton, and then we'd send it to Jamie. So, like, half the record, we didn't even see each other for at all. That's super cool to note, because there's a song on there, uh, Poison Politics, which I I was able to hear the, uh, the track. You sent me a couple tracks. And I'm like, they had to have had this in the room, breaking this apart. Like, where did that kind of salsa intro come from? Uh, I, I noted Mikey's bass-driven intro within that, and like, where did this That's accordion just, come well, from? We, um, so for years, if you look back on our music, there's songs like uh, "Feeling in My Bones," yeah, uh, Mexican guitar, oh yeah, um, a whole bunch of songs. Like so, and that harkens right back to the Vancouver days because cool. I lived on this place called I lived around this place called Commercial Drive. Mm-hmm. And it was one of these places where, like, one bar we'd be playing Caribbean music. The next bar we'd be playing music from Guatemala. Cool. The next bar we'd be playing, like, a straight-up, you know, uh, jam band, like the New Deal or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, down the line, so, like, I just got into all that. And when I was when I was young, I was a classical guitar player in the Qantas program and all that kind of stuff. So okay. Spanish music has always been super close to my heart. Yeah. And, and like... I remember being like a, a, like nine years old listening to the, the Gypsy Kings. My, my parents used to crank the Gypsy Kings around the house all the time. And Mike, especially, you know, if you ever see Mike playing the acoustic guitar, he is 
of the time playing a classical guitar. And all of those uh, minor and major pentatonics and all those scales that he's so good at and stuff, uh, that's just our, like, that's kind of our go-to. And we do a bunch of sticks. We, when, we, when we do a duo show, it's more like a guitar picking kind of show. And we do a lot of like flamenco style. And, yeah, uh, I think uh, I caught you solo and then there was a lot of that like flamenco style guitar. I'm like, cool, that's, it was cool to see translated from your your full band to your solo act. If I'm going to sit down, I'm going to, I'm going to, if I'm going to sit down and put music on, it's going to be like Buena Vista Social Club. A, a huge influence on our band um, was Manu Chow. I don't, I don't know how much Manu Chow you listen to or not. No, if you don't listen even... to it, if you don't listen to so here's the thing about Manu Chow. The biggest bands in yeah. the fucking world. Yeah. And I'll say to you, hey, you listen to Mano Chow and you'll be like, oh, I've never heard of it. Yeah. It's, we're talking like like fucking a million people will go to see this band on the streets of San Paolo or something. Yeah. And uh Mano Chow was a massive influence on okay. us. So if you if, if you go and listen to Mano Chow after we hang up here, if you go listen yeah. to like a, a record called uh, Radio uh, so yeah, it's called Mano Chow M A I think um, there's a specific record uh, called Radio Bomba. Okay. And it was like a, a world changing record. Like it just changed the course of, of a lot of like Latin American music. And he's from, I think he's from Spain, but he grew up in Paris, but he's just like one of the, it's one of the biggest acts in the entire fucking world. And what was really cool during the pandemic is that he started doing live YouTube stuff, which he's like this really enigmatic character where. How old is he? Is he like in his 50s now wow um they were like so they were massive in like the late 90s they were just at they're still massive like but yeah. they were like absolutely massive mm-hmm. um you've definitely heard songs you ever heard a song like king of the bongos i don't like think. that like king of the bongos king of the bongos song but anyway mano chow was I'm, a massive, I'm definitely gonna throw them influence. on and be like okay if i know them you're, you're gonna I'll hear probably it. know you're, them you're, and hear it so songs like uh, songs that we have like Euro Trash, yeah. So or it's songs all like that, they would be that. very much like they would cool. be very much like uh, Manu Chao style um, kind of thing. Have you heard of the band Laganza? I have not. They're from Vancouver, and honestly, very similar style to what you guys got going on. I was wondering if you ever played with them before. They only put out one album. I found the album at Plan B in Moncton. Okay. That's where I heard it. I was like, who's this band? I really dig it. And I was like, I wonder if Steve and the boys toured with them before. They put out one record. It was on the streaming services for a while. Then it just dipped. And The only bands we did from out west, we, we toured with Wasabi Collective. Oh, cool. Which were fantastic. They were yeah. like a bunch of crazy hippies. <laughs> and um, this band called Steve and Frank and the Tool Shed. They were like very jazzy, <laughs> bossa nova kind of band. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're still playing a few shows here and there with Five Alarm Funk. Oh, right on. Um, yeah, they know how to do it out there, man. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually heading to Vancouver for my first trip uh, next month, or no, June, sorry. And uh, I'm looking forward to that because we've we've done across Canada and stopped at Banff. And I haven't played Vancouver in over ten years, actually. And just because really? it's really hard to, it, it's like sixty hours to get there, right? You cross. I mean, even if you fly out to Calgary and you're you're playing all these, as soon as you cross the mountains, people don't. You know, there's not a lot of tickets. There's not a lot of like. You really have. 
it's very it's very much like it's like it's like the opposite of Halifax. It's yeah. similar but the opposite. You know, it's like okay, yeah. They're very they're very colloquial. They're very like they keep to themselves. Yeah. They have great music. They're very world like it's very world. It's very uh, eclectic. It's all these cool things. But we're definitely making plans to uh, hit Vancouver again. Yeah, that'd be back dope. To the, when you back did to the origin uh, story. There, your last album was what nine years ago, maybe. Last so month? we did. We did the last full length. Would have been about yeah eight, nine years ago. So, so last no right. So the last full length was eight and a half years ago. It was uh, the girls downtown. Yeah, I caught you. In Alberta and then, for that one. Yeah, and then we did uh, an EP here at my house uh, mm-hmm. four years ago when yeah. when Brule first started with the band. We just we just recorded it in my basement, <clears throat> and that was really cool because we got to get back to like just being total weirdos. It was yeah. after we had chased we had chased that Radio Dragon with our with our second album after we had kind of gone top twenty in Canada with the Darkest. Yeah. We we spent our next record listening to everybody in the industry being like, you basically have to make another record exactly like this one. Yeah, and and that just that's just not how we work, right? So it no, just it didn't really. Didn't the songs really are great, and I, yeah. I mean, I do love it. It was just like we were we were analyzing it too much, as in like, yeah, oh, is this is, is this good for radio? Is this yeah. good for radio? So when we did that EP called Track One, we just threw all that out the window. We're like, we're just gonna be complete weirdos just to get it out of our systems. That that. That album was just kind of like a palate cleansing, and Love this it. album that we're releasing now is more like, okay, we've cleansed the palate. Here's what we it's are. Time to, it's time to reintroduce who we really are. Yeah, uh, yeah. How was exciting. it? How was it adjusting with a new drummer? Like, how long have you known Jordan? We know Jordan. We know Jordan. Since he was like 11 years old. I figured it was just a long time friendship <laughs> thing. Yeah. Well, he started off as a student, a guitar student of Mike's. Oh, okay. And. uh and he's just like, you know, he's grown, he's grown <laughs> so much. Yeah, he's grown so much. Great dude. And he just fit in naturally. Yeah, he's like, he's so crazy chill and uh, he loves music. Yeah. We all, we all have a lot of the same kind of uh, likes and um, he just fit in so perfectly and, and he took up the reins so quickly and he's still having a great time. Well, I talk to him, I talk to him every day. Yeah, was there any downtime in between Brian departing and Jordan? There was there was literally 48 hours. Shut up. Yeah. See, I knew it happened quick, but I didn't realize it was that fast. No, you know what? I'm I'm lying. I'm lying. Yeah. Brian Brian left the band on I think like a December 23, mm-hmm. uh, December tw- December 23rd and Jordan played his first show December 28th. What? Yeah. Did you know Brian was leaving? Was this the thing that was happening, or did I, uh, yeah? I think I, I think I kind of did. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can, and we had another drummer, Devin, left, and you can kind of start to see like when people start. I mean, people, people have other things they want to do, and yeah. you're, you're fucking touring like constantly, constantly, and you, just people have other things they want to do. And Brian's a fucking genius, right? Like he is probably. And this is just me talking, but I yep. would classify Brian as one of the top drummers in the entire country. Yeah, I, uh, I, I easily that. <laughs> fucking easily, an absolute genius, an absolute monster. He's one of the most incredible producers. He has an incredible ear for production. But yeah. I just think, like at the time, he just you know you're you're with the same three dudes, like fucking not, and to save money, you're like you're literally all sleeping in the same room, right? You're not you're not getting three hotel rooms, you know what no. I mean? Like a lot of the times, you're yeah, getting one hotel that. room. Yeah, and uh, and 
like just you have other things you want to do you want to like i don't know have relationships you like, <laughs> live a little bit you want to like you know you know pursue different careers or have yeah. a you know have different hobby you just you just want to do other things and brian brian was into like racing cars and being like a powerlifting champion and like being like this like incredible dj and stuff and like mm-hmm. i'm sure he just everybody starts to get their own idea of what they want to do and uh and just that's just how it goes. Yeah. And you just you don't dwell on it at all. You just wipe yourself off and literally just keep working. Do not do not stop the train. Right. For any like we've always said like there has to be a nuclear fucking war for us <laughs> to like miss a gig or anything like that. My wife and I were talking about that the other day. <laughs> um we were watching Canada's Got Talent and a guy got in a car crash on the way to his audition and still made it to the audition and they passed him just because he did that to be dedicated. She's like, you know what? That's you. <laughs> You're going to yeah, get in a car fucking, crash. I call that, I call that Tuesday. <laughs> I, uh, I was in the hospital in 2014 with a brain virus. Um, I had I like, that was scary. Man. <laughs> that was not fun. And I, uh, I had like four shows lined up that week messaged on Facebook to the booker. I'm like, yeah, I'm just in the hospital. I'll be there at the show. <laughs> I was in the hospital for like two weeks. <laughs> it's just funny how you say that because you can really tell the people that care about their product, they care about their music, and are so passionate about what they do. It's it's kind of like a believe in yourself. And just honestly, that deep within, it's like, okay, no, this is not going to happen. I'm making the show. This is the This is the do or die kind of thing. And it's our careers too, right? Like it's yeah. literally, it's what I, I you know, we put Your kids through college, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, no, it's what exactly, we, man. our, um, you know, my father was a coal miner and it would be like the worst fucking snowstorm you could possibly ever imagine. And he would be out there with a pan shovel at three o'clock in the morning just to get to work. And you just have that. It's like, well, people have to go to fucking work, yeah. you know? And, and if you, you can't just like not show up because you oh. don't, because if you don't, you don't, you're, you have don't a feel head cold or it's a, <laughs> Or it's a snowstorm. It's like, you're going to go. Yeah. I think there's a correlation there between that and, like, you grew up in a hardworking family, like, physical labor. And I think you see that and you wanted something different for yourself, but you knew the hard work it takes to do the music career. You wanted to do it in a different sense, but you have that same mentality because I'm much of the same way. My father um, has been a sheet metal worker and iron worker, so working physical labor for all of his life and I did it for 13 years and I'm like I want something different but I know what it is it's get up go to work work your ass off pay your bills so you can do what you want yeah so I see that correlation and it's a it's it's something something on the east coast or something about it that really sparks well, that inspiration well we the east east coasters are like different <laughs> stubborn and cranky yeah. and, and and angry <laughs> We all arrived here in 1759 with this idea of we fucking hate the king. Yeah. We hate that they, you know, they <laughs> being Scottish, you know, they and French and stuff. It's like the French came here and they had lived these like ridiculously hard lives. And then the English, <laughs> you know, the, the, the Scottish arrived here and they just lived these ridiculously hard lives. And we never stopped being bitter about that. No. And we just, we carry this subconscious bitterness with us. <laughs> but it gives and us it the edge. Never, it never went away. Yeah. No. And, and it, 
we were playing a gig Canmore, Alberta, one time with Stephen Frank. And one of our mottos is, we, if there's a fight, we do not stop unless someone is literally being killed. Gotcha. And Stephen Frank and those guys, they're all from Vancouver. And uh, this, like, 13-person bar brawl broke out. And they were playing They were playing first. And I turned to Mikey, and I was like, don't stop. Don't stop the show. Don't stop the show. Don't stop. And uh, Don't stop. And then they stopped playing, and they were like, we just want everybody to get along. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> all hell broke loose. Yeah. Yeah. All hell was breaking loose. But, I mean, that's that's happened uh, so many of our shows. I think every show we've ever played in Edmonton has ended with cops and ambulances. And I, I, I'm like, we're a fucking dance rock <laughs> reggae band. Everybody love each like, other. <laughs> just, I, I think what happens at Slow Coaster shows is that we're such an East Coast thing that when we go to, like, say, Edmonton or Fort Mac, it's like... People get primed. They get they do a <laughs> lot of fucking pre-gaming, and, yeah. like, and then they show up, and it's like no one has seen each other, and then it's like people forget that so-and-so slept with so-and-so's cousin <laughs> behind so-and-so's back, and then shit just goes wild. I love it. I was down... I was working in Tennessee. You know, I did a lot of work in Nashville writing songs, and um, I was out one night at a bar with a publisher from, uh, I think he was from Louisiana mm-hmm. and he, he turned, he turned to me and he goes, Hey man, I don't mean to ask you. He's like, do, you being from Canada, do, do you ever get freaked <laughs> out by the hillbillies down here at all? And I'm like, listen, man, I play in Inverness, Cape Breton Island. I'm like, have you ever seen grown men fight with no shirts on in a snowbank? You guys, you guys think you're cool. You guys think you're tough because you have guns. Guns by your side. <laughs> You take away your guns, you're just a giant pile of fucking <laughs> no guns. You, like <laughs> you're just normal human beings. A normal human being does not fight with 15 people in the snowbank shirtless. And uh, I know I could, I could again, I could go on all day about a million shows that have broken out in these giant fights. But uh, I've got, it's, I find it's funny. <laughs> I've got a little section I do on this that's called Tour Story. So since we're talking about it, oh, what's your worst horror story on tour? Oh my god! So I have to go back for one second because yeah. I remember a show that we played with you. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but this is one of the funniest fucking moments ever. <laughs> Do you remember us playing Halloween at Shenanigans? I think it was called Shindigs. Was it called Shindigs? Shindigs. It was Shindigs. Yeah. Do you remember we played Halloween together? <laughs> and is this the night when Dad was fighting outside, or is this another night? So like, so like <laughs> everybody. For some reason, I don't know, maybe it was because Pirates of the Caribbean came out that, that year. Yeah. So, like, 90% of the people that showed up at that show, it was a Halloween show, dressed as a pirate. <laughs> and then and then 90% of the people there got in a giant fight. <laughs> and Royal and Rumble. Then, and then uh, some, some one of the bartenders, I think it was Doug, I, think, I forget his name, but he turned to me and he's like, should we stop this? I said, man, <laughs> what? I said... I was like, man, when is the next time you're going to see this many pirates fight? Fighting. <laughs> it was yeah. just like, it was like 50 pirates being the shit of each other. I was like, dude, this is like, this is, rock this and is roll, like straight man. out of a movie. This is a movie right now. See, this is the kind of stuff that there always needs to be cameras at shows. So funny story. There was a camera at that fucking show because they used to, st- they were one of the first people to stream Streaming, their shows. Right. Right, I forgot all about that. There was a camera. You know who it was? Dave Meyer would be the guy to talk to. I'm going to try and get some of that footage and link it. That's that's it. So he he had this band house that the bands would stay at, only he would invite like the whole fucking bar back to the band house because the band house was like also his extra house. house. He's, He's like... 
you know, we got this extra house, it's got three beds, got three bedrooms in it. And then you'd get there and it's like, it's like, okay, finally I'm away from like all the people and stuff. And it's like, that all of a sudden like 50 people would pile through the door and there'd be this poor Hawksbury fucking throwdown going on. You're like trying to get to sleep. Your ears are ringing and like people are drinking till like seven in the morning. See, people don't realize this as musicians. Like we bring the party. We don't always want to party afterwards. And it took a long time for me to realize this as a musician as well. But it was oh my god, uh, yeah, Dave, that was his name, Dave. Dave. Yeah, I got to try and find this footage because that is hilarious. I remember this. This must have been that had to have been a decade or more ago. Would have been like eleven years. It would have been eleven yeah. years ago. It would have been, <laughs> I gauge I gauge everything by how old my youngest son is. Yes. So it would it would have been eleven years ago. <laughs> Because I just, we had, uh, Steph and I had just gotten our, and she, we had just gotten her. And um, she's now 11. So it was 11 years ago. Because we took her to the bar that night. Unreal. So what do you guys got lined up for this summer? Like, you've, you've got all this new album stuff ready. Are you going to, like you said, you might go to Vancouver. You're going to tour across Canada with so it. So uh, that's going to be probably late fall. Cool. But, um, you know, we've got a lot, we did a, it's, it's weird this year because we kind of, planning is kind of weird because last year there was no festivals for two years. Yeah. So everybody kind of went fucking crazy last yeah. year and booked, there was just Way like a festival time. coming out of every, every crack in the sidewalk had a festival happening. Yeah. And um, so we, and we played every single one of them. Mm-hmm. So, so this year it's kind of like, well, you, we're not going to go back to that festival because we played it last year. Yeah. So we're doing a few uh, a few freaky things, you know. You can find us like various bars and breweries, and uh, I love the brewery I think, shows. I think we've got a few festivals lined up here and there. I, I, honestly, I don't know. This is like I'm sounding super unprepared right now, but like I can't think of them off the top of my head because I'm because we're also doing a holler touring as well. So you're going to be busy regardless of what uh, what band it is, and most like. Two out of the three members are in both bands. And, and then between that, it's solo shows. And solo shows. So, so I'm working on a solo record right now, too. And it's just oh, like, wicked. Jesus Christ, what I, am I doing I f- to myself? I feel a lot of this with what's going on in my life, too. So it's good to hear someone else's as insane as I am and maybe even more insane. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Sherry, <laughs> Sherry, Sherry Jones, yeah. uh, you know, the biggest manager on the East Coast and who's one of my biggest... Uh, influences and mentors and teachers mm-hmm. and sa- sounding boards. She once told me that the music business is the business of nickels and dimes. Yeah. Which, which means that you have to collect as many nickels and dimes as possible. So basically like, unless you're working another job or you have a totally other career, there's no sitting down. There's no right. staying still. And you just go and go. I read a fucking, you want to hear this fucking crazy statistic I read the other day? Yeah. The average The average age of a human being right now is like two years old, like yeah. in North America. The average age, as in like death age, mm-hmm. of musicians. So, so I went through like just uh, you can see like you know when's the average age of dentists when they die? When's the average age of, of you know you can, cops? Yeah. Blah blah blah. You can go down the line. The average age of musicians is fifty-seven. Oh man. That's uh, stop, right? you're, you're basically like a you're basically like a trucker ticking time has, bomb. Yeah, true. Who has, an, who has an extra job? Yeah, <laughs> and you've been full time with music since how how many years? Twenty 
24 years. 24 years. And you, like you said, it's nickel and dime. It's You're also a songwriter for other people. You play your solo you show. Be a, yeah, a writer. Pro- you're, yeah, you, you have to be a writer, all, producer, all performer. Yeah, all these revenue streams. And I'm, I've been just full-time since June, and that's kind of the thing that I'm looking out like I'm, I seen you in St. Peter's, and I was asking for advice. And I think people that have done it are open to sharing good ways to do it. And it's 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 that thing, especially like I said on the East Coast, is just sharing sharing the knowledge. And I think that's how the musical community is. So we can last longer than fifty seven years old. We gotta be sharing our tips and tricks. I mean, I'm sure a fucking the Burger King in Brampton, Ontario, doesn't exactly help, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I, uh, I'm i on the uh, hot dogs and taquito diet, usually on the road, bags of chips, energy drinks. And... I look at these rock stars from, from like, from like the late 70s. Like, if you look at it, if you look at like early ACDC, it's like, those guys were fucking sticks. Yep. And it's like, how did they drink so much? And then you're like, oh yeah, other drugs. Oh, cocaine's a thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of the rock stars and stuff, they were like so fucking skinny and it's like, oh my God. But it was a different time. It was a different era. They, it was, you know, it didn't yeah. even have to. It didn't even have to be cocaine. It was just like there probably just wasn't as much crap food. Fair everywhere. No, yeah, yeah. That's like one thing that the the cost of living and cost of food now is insane. So I can see why bags of chips and chocolate bars <laughs> and pop are what we indulge. That's what into. I say. It's like we're just like truckers that uh, <laughs> exactly stop over. We're in the car for 20 hours to drive to get to the next venue. Grab your food here because we got to gas up and then we got to go. Only truckers stop driving after eight hours at a time. <laughs> yeah. Me I saw the- Mikey. So one time, Mikey, 41 hours without stopping. Shut up. So is he the main driver? He tends to be, yeah. Um, he drove, I think he drove from like Toronto to Banff without stopping we we didn't like stop to go into a hotel or mm-hmm. or anything like that we just literally got in the van and we drove and then we were we were sitting in lethbridge ontario or sorry lethbridge alberta uh sunday it was the day after our last show of, of our tour it was lethbridge yeah and the ecma it was the ecma's 2010 i think in uh, uh pei or something like that mm-hmm. and we were sitting in lethbridge and we were like we have to go back to cape Breton." We were like, you know, if we leave right now, we can make it home by Thursday. <laughs> Man, that's literally what I'm going through right now. <laughs> and we did. And we did. I remember just like, uh, I remember we, we all jumped in the Bredore Lakes, but it was like fucking April. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's, and that goes back to uh, being so passionate about what you're doing and that music mind that. <laughs> that physical and mental strength you got to have to pursue this career and to keep at it is it's an it's a strange beast it keeps you young it keeps you young yeah. in, in a lot of ways i remember uh, i just heard some like meme or quote or something and it was like mom when i grow up i want to be a musician and the mom's <laughs> like well son you can't do both <laughs> exactly yeah i love that I need to hear the biggest piece of advice that you've been given over the years or that you want to share with listeners in, uh, in your closing statement. Fuck. You put me on the spot, I guess. I know, right? Um, so I've already, I've already kind of given up a few of them. You know, it's the business of nickels and dimes. And 
it took a long time to realize that if you're more honest with your art, it does work out in the end. And I mean, you might be, you might be in a 10 years and you're like, this is just, is not working. And, but there's something out there for everybody. Oh, you know what? This is my, this is my number one piece of advice. And this might sound a little sterile, but, uh, know your market. Fair. Know your market because there is literally something out there for everybody. So if, if you're like, you play the theremin, mm-hmm. there's a market out there for that. Yeah. Just find it. I so love that. know your, know your market is like probably the most important thing that a musician can do. So like, if you're like a, if you're like a fucking into trap music or a, blah 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 down the line of every variation and stratification of music that's out there now if it's not working for you in in somewhere it's going to work for you somewhere else it just is you can probably just punch a keyboard uh, a computer keyboard and then put the word music at the end of it and there's a concert for it somewhere there's a (laughs) festival of this kind of music somewhere yeah i honestly that's that's such good advice because that's one thing you can't please everybody and once you stop trying to do that things come a little easier like you're saying you know so I, I meet people that are like playing cafes or mm-hmm. doing like the playing like singer songwriter places but they do like weird casio keyboard fart noises rap <laughs> and it's like oh i'm just not getting anywhere and it's like well you're, you're literally in the, right the wrong place for this yes there's a place for every there's a place for every single type of art on the face of the earth that you could possibly imagine into the dark corners of the darkest corners of the web i'm sure <laughs> yeah. so like um just know your market I love know it. your market and you will succeed beautiful and uh last thing what can we expect from slow coaster at giant stock it's going to be a blast i i well i'll tell you this and we've probably done over two thousand shows easily and not a single show has ever been the same as the show before so and so we kind of go into it with an improv we all we go into every single show with an improvisational attitude so i honestly can't tell you i there was one time where i uh about three summers ago i played a festival in new brunswick and i i did like a 15 minute guitar solo uh, <laughs> using a carrot as a slide <laughs> so bring your and, vegetables <laughs> but here's the thing though man here's the thing bro i've played friggin 200 shows at least since then and yep. everybody i have people come up to me and be like i saw you play with a carrot <laughs> it's like what are you gonna do to stick in that person's mind it might this? not it might not be what you expect it might not exactly be a, a, a song it just might be you know you want to give you're selling somebody a moment of emotion I love right that. so oh there's a nice yeah. line moment of emotion um, fuck co-write. off, Andre. I, fuck I got it off, man. So we're gonna co-rate that one, right? Yeah, sure. All right, Anytime. I'll come up to New Brunswick one of these days, and we'll write. Please, I got gigs for you up here, man. Come on up. Well, let's let's work on that. Let's. I'm yeah. full time with this now, so let's let's hang out and catch up even more. Let's do it. Sweet man. Well, thanks for uh, hanging out. Good catching up with you. My and, pleasure, bro. Uh, we'll see you this summer, probably multiple yep. times. But I'll, uh, I'll probably see you like I'll probably see you like next week at the <laughs> freaking big, at the big stop. Yeah. Going to get a little dessert after a show or something. Yeah, going to get one of those like jelly rolls at the big stop <laughs> and a, a stick of stick of Horrell's pepperoni. Oh, big old cock of pepperoni! Sign me up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, thanks a lot, man. Catch up with you real soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
Thanks for tuning in to What's Going On, Dre? Can't wait to get my hands on that new Slow Coaster album. Go pre-order it now. We'll see you next week.